0: So, Mark. Yes? This week's movie involves doppelgangers.
1: Yes. Indeed it does. As a bit of a spoiler.
0: Yeah, we'll talk all about how it works and the way that they do it, but I wanted to start things off just by asking you, what is your favorite doppelganger movie or
1: movie doppelganger or doppelmovie ganger? So, I think my favorite doppelganger movie actually ties closely to this one because the director has cited this as an inspiration for another film which is jordan peele's us ah what a great movie because the doppelganger work in that movie between lupita nyongo and elizabeth moss and even the kids There's so many doppelgangers and so many people turning in two performances at the same time, and all of them are good. They're
0: all good. Elizabeth Moss, as her own tether, is so, oh my god, murderously funny. It's so good. It's been too long since I watched that movie.
1: Yeah, me too. When you say doppelgangers in movies, my mind always goes to tethers. Sure, I mean, that's the big one. What's funny is I I can't believe I didn't even think of that. I know. I was surprised. I was like, I have to go first because Will will have a backup. And he might say this one, but I don't have a backup right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. When we were talking before the recording, you said something about a movie that we had discussed on the podcast, I think. Or just a movie that I really liked. And I was like, oh, Joe vs. the Volcano, where Meg Ryan plays three very different women that Tom Hanks goes on dates with. But the movie that I thought of initially was more in the spirit of the one we're talking about this week, where there's something kind of creepy about the doppelganger status kind of like in us which is this movie that was at sundance this past year so i watched it as part of virtual sundance called duel did you hear about this at all
1: i think i heard about it yeah
0: so the movie is like a near future thing where karen gillen is diagnosed with a some kind of terminal blood condition or something and there's this company that, to make uh, your death easier for the people you love, they'll clone you, age the clone up to basically your age right now. And then from the time the clone is grown until you die, you, like, train the clone to take over your life.
1: I hate that.
0: Okay, here's the thing. That's the setup of the movie. Yeah. Karen Gillan gets a clone. And then, like, she's training the clone to take over her life, and then one day she gets a call from the doctor that's like, Yeah, you have gone entirely into remission and will live a long and happy life. Uh. (laughs) But, like, there are a bunch of laws that recognize doubles, the clones, and there are not allowed to be two legal people who are the same person. So officially, a double who has not formally taken over the original's life is supposed to be, like, retired, which is, like, clearly killed. But if the double refuses, then under the 28th Amendment to the Constitution, they can request a fight to the death. What? (laughs) What? So most of the movie is Karen Gillan training to murder herself.
1: Oh my god! What? I imagine getting that constitutional convention going. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wild movie. It's pretty fun. Um,
0: I think... A24 might have picked it up?
2: That just sounds like something I can say right now I don't need to see. No, I need to do a better job of
0: that. Oh, some company called RJLE picked it up. I don't know who they are, but they're going to be putting it out sometime later this year.
1: It's so weird. Um, Fiona, what is your favorite doppelganger movie, though? I'm curious. And by the way, Mark
0: Mark and I both picked doppelganger murder movies.
2: I don't even know if this doesn't... This is not really a doppelganger movie, but my first thought was The Parent Trap. That's okay, but I didn't know if since they're movie. actual twins, if that counts.
1: I think twins can be but doppelgangers they're are identical. if they're not raised they were as not twins. Raised together.
2: They meet at camp and they switch places. Like, it, it is doppelganger.
0: Yeah, it's basically a body snatcher situation. Yeah, they just situation. happen to actually be related. It's a movie that has an absurd premise <laughs> in order to do a doppelganger thing without having to be science fiction.
2: And if you guys if you were going to tell me that that doesn't count then my next choice would have been the princess switch. So,
0: I knew that. <laughs> how did you know? You're very predictable.
1: I do have a question. Are we sure that they are actually twins and one of the Lindsay Lohans isn't a double and that the movie will end with actually in the sequel a duel to the So death? Mark,
2: you know how they used to do like movie trailers but they would cut it so it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. I feel like you now need to do this with the parent trap.
1: I have many ideas for things that I wish I had the skills to do and then immediately forget about them. Was it Unbreakable
0: Kimmy Schmidt that had the runner about how like there was an ever increasing number of Olsen twins, triplets, quadruplets in order to account for the full house stuff?
1: I think so. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but that sounds right. Yeah. Well, now there are three Olsens. That's the thing one of which is the superior actor. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, By the way, Fiona, did you watch
1: The Princess Switch
0: 3? Of course I did. Can you give us the lowdown?
1: I feel like we need to
0: check in on this series periodically. Was there a
1: fourth princess? No.
0: But all
2: three of them... We're switching places. Okay, so Fiona...
0: Yeah, actually, what is the deal with Vanessa Hudgens number three? Because I don't know that we discussed the second one either.
2: She is the princess's, like, distant cousin, but she's always lived a little more of a wilder life.
0: What is her Um, accent? I assume she has her own fun accent. Bad British. Okay.
2: So at the end of the second movie, she got arrested for kidnapping one of the other Vanessa Hudgenses. So in the third movie she is kind of she's not in prison but she's like she has to live at like a convent with a bunch of nuns and like is this is this
0: 1740
2: she has to sweep the floors but her parole hearing is coming up and then meanwhile okay i have I'm trying to remember okay they were having a big Christmas celebration with another country, and they have this star. I think that was like a whole symbolic thing. And they get together every no- whatever like X number of years, where they have the star together, and
1: and then they have to sacrifice a few people. No. <laughs> some jump off a cliff.
2: Well, the Alibaba. star goes missing. And it's about to be, like, the start of World War III, basically. Let, I, let me find a summary real quick.
0: The concerns in these Christmas movies are always so minuscule. <laughs> it's always like, there's this one tiny tradition that we must preserve, or our Christmas town will be ruined.
1: Well, this is a Chris- This is two Christmas countries.
0: Oh, it's called
2: Princess Switch 3, colon, Romancing the Star. That's the subtitle? Yes. that's stinks. Little
1: known fact. Belgravia, actually a nuclear power.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, they're a former Soviet state, right? So they had the missile stations there in 1991, but unlike everyone else, they refused to give them up.
1: Yeah, oh my gosh. I'm assuming.
2: I forgot. Okay, oh my gosh, okay. So... <laughs> They're going to have an international Christmas festival in Montanaro, and the centerpiece is the Star of Peace, which is a sacred relic loaned by the Vatican. And a bishop comes and brings the star, but then the star disappears, and they, they first think that Fiona stole it. But she is, remember, on probation, working as a custodian. Oh, this says it's at an orphanage, but I really thought it was, like, a convent. So she, they, like, swap two of them. So one of the Vanessa Hudgenses then goes and stays at the convent slash orphanage so that they think she's still there, while Fiona gets out to find her ex-boyfriend who's good at hacking into stuff. And he's going to help them find out who stole the star and they find out it's this guy who is a billionaire and he likes stealing works of art and he's having a big Christmas party. And so Fiona charms him into an invitation to the party. And so she's like dancing with him and flirting and everything. Meanwhile, the other Vanessa Hudgens sneaks into the party. They have learned the whole, all of the security systems and everything. So they sneak in so they can get the star and then they have to escape you find out that Fiona has a lot of issues with her mom, and because of that, she can't let anybody get close to her. And that's sounds why sounds so boring. That's why her ex-boyfriend, like, it didn't really work out, but of course they end up together at the end. And then one of the Vanessa Hudgens' actually has to go to Fiona's parole hearing in her place because she wasn't back yet. It was ridiculous. It sounds bad. It, it kind of was.
0: Fiona... You like movies about people pretending to be other people and sneaking into fancy parties and, you know, just daring the legal system to follow them up. Why are you not watching Mission Impossible all the time? I don't,
2: I don't know. Have I've you ever watched the Mission Impossible? No.
0: You should. We gotta fix that.
2: Could we do it on a podcast? Or is there zero romance? We've well, we, done... did...
0: we, we did... did the most romantic one. Yeah. Okay. We could do two. Which is the one with Tandyway Newton, which is probably the second
1: most romantic and is also the worst one. Okay. Directed by John Woo, director of Face Off. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I mean, there's also the most recent one where we could talk about his rekindling of love in the South Pole or wherever they are.
2: They're like in the Himalayas. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I want. A rekindling of love.
0: Okay, and there's also like the flirtation with both Vanessa Kirby and Rebecca Ferguson.
1: Right. Okay. And the best part, you don't need to know anything from the previous <laughs> movies to enjoy right. these films.
0: But yeah, <laughs> it's there. It's the perfect franchise where, like, the more you have seen, there's more to get out of it. But they do not require you to know anything.
1: I Six think I was the a, first one I saw. Yeah, I have a solid every other one almost going. Oh well, Mark, you've got to fill your gaps. I may have at this point, but in terms of theaters, obviously I did not see one or three in theaters because my parents were not taking me to Mission Impossible in the mid 90s. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> but I think I saw two. <laughs> I think I saw four and six in theaters and then just missed five and said, eh, hey, I'll watch it later. I, I wish I had seen
0: five in theaters. I did see the trailer for five in theaters, which was just entirely the hanging off a plane sequence.
1: Ugh. Those movies are. So over the top.
0: I am furious that Paramount pushed 7 to next year.
1: Is it done or did they push it because of production?
0: I think they pushed it and then pushed Mission Impossible 8 as well which because they were working on them at the same time because Mm. I think they want to open Tom Cruise movies in three consecutive Mays.
1: What's this May? Top Gun. Oh. Oh. Boring.
2: Is he going to be a big part in it?
1: He's
0: the lead in the trailer.
2: Oh. Is it like... Catching up with him X years
0: later. It's like he has been assigned back to that flight school as an instructor. Oh. Okay. So it's like him and then like the young new hotshot pilots, which are like uh Miles Teller and the dude from Set It Up.
2: Miles Teller. Ugh. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's fair. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, Mark, uh have you seen Top Gun?
1: No, I have not.
0: Okay. Well, we'll be watching it in a couple of weeks.
1: Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. We're mostly talking about the ba- uh, volleyball scene, right?
0: I mean, we will definitely talk about the volleyball scene. It, <laughs> it is also a great 80s sex scene, like in the tradition of the Terminator.
1: Yeah, it's shadowed, right? It's a silhouette sex scene. It's so good. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Speaking of sex <laughs> and doppelgangers <laughs> from before, I was struggling there want to start the show yeah let's do it Uh, oh oh, okay (laughs) welcome to we love the love a hollywood romance podcast i'm
0: mark and i'm gay and i'm will and i'm a ginger this is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today does hollywood romance actually make any sense
1: and are these people actually dateable or even people
0: it doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation we will dig in and see what's there. This week, we're tackling a listener request that came with a requested guest. So we got a tweet a couple of months ago that asked us to cover the 1975 Stepford Wives with hashtag Fifi herself. So here we are, talking about the classic 70s sci-fi horror feminist movie. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I just want to say I was so honored. To receive that tweet, I have never, never, just nothing. I'm so honored.
0: Fiona framed the tweet and put it in her house. Yep, that's a that's a real housewife move.
1: <laughs> that would yeah. be a real housewife move. So, Colin, get on it.
2: It's right above my desk. I can see
0: it every day.
1: So, I am curious. What did you think? Just me as as the. I think we should start with your opinion as the requested guest of honor. You're also the woman on this and the married person on this.
2: And that is true. Okay, I I made a mistake. <laughs> and I watched the new version because I thought that's what we were doing.
0: That's the Frank Oz 2004 version starring Nicole Kidman.
2: Yes. And I wish, even if I were still to have seen that one, I wish that I had seen the original one first. And I have a lot of... I wrote a whole little paragraph about my thoughts about the two of them. I did enjoy the movie, but I felt like some of the suspense was taken away because I already knew the gist of the general plot from having seen the worst version
0: of this movie. That's interesting. because So you texted us and said, like, it's the 2004 one, right? And I said, no, it's the 1975 one. Too and you, you said you had already watched the 04. So I said I would watch it as well so we could talk about them both together. And I also did 2004 and then 1975. And I was so glad that I did it in that order Because I think 2004 is much, much worse than 75, and so it was kind of cool for me to, I don't know, kind of having the same experience than you, but feeling very differently about it. Where when I was then watching 75, I was noting all of the differences, and I found myself really impressed with how efficiently the original told a story that the 2004 one really struggled to make as dynamic.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely was able to, like, I was aware of the similarities and the differences, but I think my main thing was that it, like, I didn't really know what the plot was beforehand. I had never seen it. I really, I knew that this movie existed and that was it. So all of the, like, oh, what's going to happen? What is the deal in this town? Even though it's slightly different, I I wish I hadn't known ahead of time going into the fr- original one.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense.
1: I had listened to, um, I have not seen the 2004 version. That's okay. I was planning on it, and then it was the first nice day in a while, and I said, The Outdoors is calling. Sorry, Miss AMC. But I have listened to the You're Wrong About podcast episode about the Stepford Wives, which is mostly about the book, so I did know the ending as well going into this. But I also appreciated being able to see the touches that they incorporated to show, like, as the hints.
0: Yeah, which I think Mm -hmm. is all done much more effectively in this movie, which may have added to your frustration, Fiona, because I think the 2004 version is so ham-fisted, where when Nicole Kidman and Matthew Broderick arrive in Stepford, which takes a while, by the way, because in that one, there's a whole prologue about how she's, like, a TV network executive who is launching like, a whole slate of new shows that are all Battle of the Sexes themed. (laughs) And then, then like, she winds up getting fired. With a Mike White cameo. (laughs) Right, there's a Mike White cameo where White Lotus creator and runner-up on Survivor David vs. Goliath, (laughs) Mike White. And
2: maker of the Emoji Movie.
0: (laughs) Yes, and writer of the Emoji Movie, but don't talk to him about that. uh, Bursts into the theater at, it's a presentation for the affiliates, he runs in because his wife left him on screen in one of these shows, and he tries to murder Nicole Kidman as revenge. Then she gets fired because the n- network chief is like, yeah, we're going to have a bunch of lawsuits based on these shows, so we want to can them all and have you not be around. And so then after that, she and Matthew Broderick decide to like change everything about their lives and move to Stepford. The whole thing takes like 25 minutes.
1: It, the movie's I've, only ninety minutes long.
0: Not the remake. Well, the, no, was it the remake? No the remake to was only like an
2: hour and a half. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. really? Well, it takes yeah, them it was, so was two a hours. A little bit
2: shorter than the original.
0: Well, it takes them a while to get there, and then the seventy-five one. It starts with them getting in the cabin. I was like, yes, please.
2: Well, and I think they kind of make up for it. Like one of the one big difference is that when Nicole Kidman arrives, most of the women in the town are already stepfordized whereas in the the original you see a lot more of them change
0: yeah and i think like in the 2004 one the women are all so robotic in their behavior Mm -hmm. whereas like what i love in the 75 one is that so many of the interactions are those kind of weird interactions that stick in your head where you're like was that weird or am i being weird for thinking it was weird Mm -hmm. And in 2004, it's all like, no, that was weird. That person was not behaving
1: like a human.
2: (laughs) Well, and then the other huge difference is the ending.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. I read the Wikipedia summary of the ending of that. That sounds awful. So the biggest difference, of course, is the name
0: of the scientist. In 1975, (laughs) it's Diz. He worked as an Imagineer at Disney designing audio animatronics. That's how they build the robots. In 2004, it's Mike who worked at Microsoft (laughs) and they put chips in people's brains to just like mind control them. So it's still that body, but being impulse controlled electronically, which is also cheap because then like that movie is a victory. Like at the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. Matthew, by the way, Matthew Broderick is the hero of the Stepford Wives 2004. He is the one who saves the day.
2: Right. Like he doesn't go through with it. And
1: they made the ultimate bad guy a woman based off the Wikipedia I read. Yes.
0: It's yeah. quite close because Christopher Walken as Mike turns out to have been a robot himself. He's the only robot in the movie. Everyone else is just <laughs> electronically brain controlled.
2: The other thing too was that in the remake all of the women had been like huge like powerhouses. They were all like executives of companies and that was not like the case federal judges. Yeah, and like the CEO of an airline or something. And in this one, it wasn't even so much that there was jealousy about the wives being successful. It was more just, yeah, I want them at home cooking and cleaning.
0: And I think that's the biggest problem with the 2004 Stepford Wives. Because like you said, that one winds up being about like men who are jealous of their high-powered wives who are like running the world. And then do run the world at the end of the movie. Like they force the men to like be their husbands. Like the final shot is the men in the supermarket. I
2: forgot about that. So it's like yeah. girl
0: boss Stepford wives. But what I loved in the 75-one in comparison is exactly what you were talking about. That it's like the whole movie is about women struggling to maintain an independent identity within the context of being a wife and being a mother. Mm-hmm. And their husbands are trying to force them into this artificial role and to deny them their individual personality. And And
2: almost even deny, like, them having company with each other, the women interacting, yeah.
0: And I think it's so much more interesting to make that about ordinary everyday women because, like, that is a more sort of affecting and relatable story of a real thing that goes on. Whereas, like, I watched Nicole Kidman as a network executive, it's like, well, I'm not a network executive, and if I were, I would not have created these dumb TV shows.
1: Yeah, I think (sighs) it's also a reaction to the status of women at the time, where in the 1970s, especially 72, when the book was written, it's like, you can have people basically say, oh, I dabbled in women's lib, and which I love when they were just like, I dip my toe in women's live in the city. But it's really just a, a raking point in terms of identity rather than actual, you know, major careers at that point. But by, I guess, 2004, they thought they'd solved that. They're yeah. like, that problem solved. So now we're going to talk about women in the workplace. That's also the same year that Desperate Housewives premieres on ABC. Where they have a character who they call a Stepford wife. Right. I haven't seen it. I should watch it. I'd probably enjoy it. I'm sure you would love it. (laughs) I'm sure I would love it. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned the novel, which is
0: by Ira Levin, who his biggest hit is that he wrote Rosemary's Baby, which was just a mega success. That book sold like nothing had sold before. The movie was partially responsible for kickstarting the horror boom at the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s. We talked about this a little bit on our Friday the 13th episode, but Rosemary's Baby is being made right around the same time that the MPAA comes into place. They replaced the old production code with the rating system, which made it possible to make these explicitly horrific, these violent, these sort of gruesome horror movies, and that's a big part of... The new Hollywood era. Like on the one hand, like yes, it, it's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is also written by William Goldman, like this movie, but it's Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and you know getting up to to Halloween and the slashers at the end of the decade. And I think Stepford Wives is very much a part of that, especially similar to something like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, where it's kind of like domestic horror.
1: Like mm-hmm.
0: obviously The Exorcist goes pretty gonzo in its later acts, but it's like it feels like people, and especially women in all three of those movies, sort of wrestling with the things in life that are harder to control. And this one in particular, it feels like women trying to maintain a control that the more they move into their lives, the more it's being taken away from them instead of them gaining more
1: control. I was looking at reviews and there were Google reviews and some oh guy gave this movie one star, and he was like, I've never met a man who would want this to happen, and I've traveled the world and talked to liberals and conservatives, (laughs) and no one would want this. And I was like, one, have you heard of a movie? Two, you almost certainly would Stepford your wife. (laughs) I can guarantee this man would Stepford his wife. Exaggeration for effect is a thing. Honestly, the most interesting reaction to this movie
0: is After it had been made, in the run-up to its release, Columbia Pictures invited a bunch of women's activists to a special screening of it in New York, and just kind of, like, showing it off and being like, hey, check out this this movie we made that's, like, kind of tied into women's lib and all that. And they hated it. They were, like, booing during the movie. Afterwards, they had a, like, post-screening discussion to talk about it. And ten minutes into the discussion, Betty Friedan stands up Calls it a ripoff of the women's movement. Says all women should boycott it, and storms out. What? Now, plenty of other like women writers defended the movie, but when it came out, it was very much a like controversial movie where it was like some women think this movie is regressive, and some say not so much. And I think like the only way to think this movie is regressive is like to think that the movie thinks being stepfordized is a good idea. Like it ends darkly, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the it, it, is, it is presented as horrifying. It's yeah, like, ends with murder. It's it's a horror. Like, it is bad that this happened. I was confused. I was reading about this too, and I really didn't understand what Betty Ferdinand hated about this so much. I guess maybe I was maybe living in a culture in which the idea of stepfordizing your wife would be universally dissonant like seen as a negative means that we watch it we're obviously like this movie is anti this but in a world where it still have people that kind of would buy into this portrayal of a wife as a good thing you might be more like oh maybe they are pro this because we just you know we are in a post stepford wife world essentially Obviously, not entirely, but the general cultural consensus in media in particular is like, this is bad. But at the time, that wasn't the consensus. So we are approaching it with, you know, a 21st century lens. It might have been different at the time. Because I think looking back type of criticism seems much more positive on the movie than criticism of the era.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's been almost 50 years since this thing came out.
1: Yeah, that's the only way I can wrap my mind around it, because the ending to us is so unambiguous. It's like, (laughs) this is bad. Although, the
0: ending of the novel is even more aggressive. What? Yeah, so in the novel, like, Joanna is, like, trying to get out of town. She's trying to get her kids, and the men start trying to, like, chase her to... Have her killed and replaced with the robot, and she runs away. She like runs into the woods. They chase her down, and she's like, "I know what you're trying to do. I know the women are robots. Like you're not going to turn me into a robot." And they're like, "What are you talking about? The women aren't robots." And she says, "No, I stabbed Bobby. She didn't bleed." And the men go, I, "I did see this on the Wikipedia page." Yeah, and the men go, "Okay, well, if you saw one of the women bleed, would you believe that we're telling the truth?" And she's like, "I guess." So they go to Bobby's house. And there's, like, loud music playing because her husband and son are upstairs listening to music. And meanwhile, robot Bobby grabs, like, a giant kitchen knife and starts walking towards Joanna. And then the scene ends and it cuts to the epilogue in the supermarket. Oh, my God. So
2: Bobby kills her in the book. Yeah. Which, here, okay, which is worse? Being killed by your, the robot of your friend or being killed by the robot of you,
0: I love the robot of her, actually. I know William Goldman was really upset about the change to the ending. I don't know what he wrote in the original screenplay, but he did not write what we got and he was not happy about the changes. But I love that she's killed by like her own robot, that it has those creepy black eyes, that Catherine Ross, as the robot, is wearing these like prosthetic boobs that are much bigger than her own, which is like it's a good practical effect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's so creepy and also that the robot is totally silent.
2: Well, I I think for the sake of the movie, it's better that she was killed by herself. But I meant, for me personally, would you rather be killed by a robot of oh. yourself or one of, by of your friend?
1: Oh,
0: would I? Ra- so rather is an interesting thing. I think it's creepier to be killed by a robot of myself, but I also might rather it because I I've seen I, yeah. my friends do stuff with me. So it'd be weird to see my friend stab me but i've never seen myself do some do
1: much of anything yeah there's definitely the level of creepiness would remove the emotionality of it it would almost be a curiosity like oh that that's me
0: holding a knife
1: <laughs> i have to do say, i always walk like that i know this movie is about so much more but speaking of eyes her eye makeup <laughs> throughout this entire movie is so good yeah yeah What a great era for eye makeup. Yeah. And Catherine Ross always looks great. She always looks great. We'll get into this because it plays into the believability for me. But the attractiveness gap between her and her husband in this movie was like, I was like, he came out and I was like, is that her dad? Where's the husband?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But he is a lawyer, so he probably
1: makes good money.
0: Yeah. And I think he probably had hair 10 years ago. Like, I don't.
1: I don't disbelieve them as a couple. No, but it was definitely, it was more surprising than I was expecting when he, when he came out. I
0: think it, it works for the movie though, because mm-hmm. you start with him and he already has like a stunning movie star wife.
1: Right. But he, he's like still selfish for more. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: He's like, ah, what if my wife had bigger boobs and like didn't bother me.
2: And cleaned the house.
0: Yeah. Now, obviously, the best look in this movie is everything Bobby wears. Yes. Bobby is great. She's incredible. I
1: love Bobby so much.
0: Mark, in the 2004 version, Bobby is Bette Midler, and she's an award-winning novelist.
1: (laughs) I just... Bobby is perfect as a nothing. Like, I don't think she's employed. She just lives her life how she wants.
0: That's the problem with the 2004. These are all, like,
1: high-powered people, you're like...
0: Yeah, yeah. No. Why do all of these high-powered people come to this weird town?
1: Update. Peter Masterson, only six years older than Catherine Ross. Wow.
0: Maybe she didn't smoke.
1: (laughs) The just, the whole age thing when everyone smoked, it really changed how you looked. Yeah. That's all you can say. He was 40 when this came out. And she was 35. Okay, wow. Like, around those er ages. I watched
0: this with my fiancé, and she objected to the notion that we were supposed to believe Catherine Ross looked like that, having had multiple children. And I did check, and Catherine Ross did not have any kids at this point. She and Sam Elliott have kids, don't they? Yeah, but they didn't get married until
1: 1981. Oh, wow. I can't believe they're still together. Yeah. what a couple! It seems like, like a great a couple. Quiet powerhouse couple of Sam Elliott and Catherine
0: Ross. Speaking of powerhouse couples, Mark, we were talking about Oscar nominations the other day. There were
1: two married couples both nominated. It's has that happened before? I, it can't have, right? It can't. Not I think married couples have been nominated in the same year. Yeah, but to have two. Yeah. Oh wait, they're not married. Who's Technically. not married? Plemons Plemons and Dunst Dunst are technically not married. Oh, I assumed they were. Are they not? No.
2: I was listening to an interview with her on NPR and like every other time they mentioned it, like one time they would say, oh, your husband. And then the other time, like the next time they would say, oh, yeah, like we're engaged or something or whatever. Like they they kept changing the story.
0: According to Wikipedia, they got engaged in 2017, but it doesn't say anything about them getting married.
1: Yeah. I think they're still technically just engaged, but still, two partners to be nominated in the same year. Yeah. The other, we just say it, is Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. Oh, yes. I wonder if Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are the first to be nominated for playing a couple in the same movie. That's interesting. I don't know about that. I'll dig into it later. A lot of
0: Oscar trivia we don't know that Mark might have by our Oscars episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, if I remember.
0: Uh, speaking of, like, the glitz and glam of Hollywood, one other thing that I think is interesting about this... Actually, 2 let's do two things. Uh, one, Catherine Ross got a Saturn Award for this movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was at the third Saturn Awards. They were just handing out awards. They didn't have other nominees at this point. Uh, the Stepford Wives was also nominated for Best Science Fiction Film. But... The other thing I wanted to talk about was just the weird thing of non-Hollywood companies buying studios, clearly because they want to hang out with movie stars. So we mentioned Columbia earlier. This movie was distributed by Columbia, which, by the way, has its own long history of that being owned by Coca-Cola in yeah, the 80s. Yeah, I was about to say. And then being bought by Sony.
1: At least Sony was entertainment before.
0: But in the in 1989 when they bought it? Like, barely.
1: What did Sony do before the PlayStation?
0: Weren't they just like making TVs and stuff? That I, yeah, close enough to
1: me. Headphones. So
0: the movie was distributed by Columbia. It was produced by Palomar Pictures, which had been an ABC subsidiary when it was started. This, by the way, is the last theatrical film by Palomar Pictures, which in 1970 was acquired by Bristol Myers, the pharmaceutical company. Yeah, huh? And you're just like, why are these companies buying film studios? It is not like a money making business, like large amounts of money come in, but they also go out. Like, you're not turning huge profits, but I guess you get to hang out with movie stars. Like, I think it particularly sticks in my mind because over the last four years, we had that, like, genuinely embarrassing AT&T-Warner Brothers situation where AT&T bought Warner Brothers, clearly had no plan, and just, like, gave up after, like, three years.
1: Oh, I forgot about
0: that. It's the thing, like, on the one hand, it's forgettable. On the other hand, like... It led to some dramatic changes at Warners and HBO.
1: Yeah. What a... Th- uh, this needs to be stopped. I mean, separately. All of this conglomeration. Yeah. Uh, Update. Sony started as a electronics store. Like, making tape recorders and stuff. Makes sense. And radios and all of that. So, I feel like it makes more sense to me why they would get into media in some ways. But also, because you think of them as a video game company, yeah. But the transition to video games makes a lot of sense to me. But also, they ran a life insurance company at some point because that's how Japan works. (laughs) (laughs) Japanese companies are so strange. I know. Speaking of video games, though, I learned that the founder of Atari wanted to like sell video games, so he founded Chuck E. Cheese, which also used like. Disney animatronics to entertain adults, just like in this movie, because the animatronics started to keep the adults busy in the drinking area while their kids played video games. Isn't that weird? That is wild. There used to be a, like, piano-playing hippopotamus with heaving bosoms that were, like, animatronic breasts that bounced as she played piano.
0: That is a Stepford Wives move. A robot with bouncing
1: boobs. Indeed it is.
0: Um, speaking of, should we talk about The Romance of the Stepford Wives? Um, a movie that Diane Keaton was offered the lead role in but turned down because her analyst didn't like the script.
1: The most 70s thing that has ever been said.
0: That would have been Diane Keaton, like, during the Godfather movies. Like, young Diane Keaton.
1: Yeah, Pete Keaton. Well, not Pete Keaton, because Pete Keaton uh, is how happening at the moment. But, like, early prime of her, you know, I guess... This would have been like Annie Hall, right?
0: Annie Hall is like 79 because it beats Star Wars for Best Picture. right. Okay. No, so 77. That's how I know these things.
1: Ah, yes. Okay. So every week we break down the romantic plot line of a movie into five points to help guide the conversation. Fiona, as our esteemed requested guest, requested guest, please take us to, I'm going to guess, a point zero.
2: Oh my gosh. How did you know?
1: (laughs) How dare you? (laughs)
2: You know, it's been a long time and I felt like I had to bring it back.
1: You know what I resent
0: is that in the space since we last discussed you having a point 0, multiple first time guests have come on this show and been like, I've heard we can do whatever we want. <laughs>
2: I know, I heard it and I loved it.
1: Fiona really uh opened the floodgates of just whatever you want.
2: I am an influencer.
1: <laughs> Rachel took it to a new level when she brought in 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> I counted that as five. I did not put in 20 clips. That is good. I, it is five, but also it was 20. All right, Fiona, take us to point number zero, apparently.
0: Point number Wait, zero. On, excuse
1: me. I'm looking at this script.
0: Point number zero fully does not happen in the movie.
2: Right, because <laughs> as I've done many times before, point zero is like context that we need to even start the movie.
0: You wrote on this script, it's- Walter and Joanna have supposedly met, had a romance, got married. Did we need context on that? <laughs> we could just say they're married in point one. We would all no. understand the implication.
2: No, because point one is a, a completely separate thing. We have to establish the relationship, their history, and then we can move into the movie action. Doesn't that happens happens the doesn't even establish the history. The, the movie. movie
0: starts with them getting into the cab.
2: Right. And that's why this is point zero and not part of point one. Oh my gosh. Are you going to be okay? I don't know. Okay. Well,
1: I'm, you can't I analyze. personally am thrilled because this is the, I was gonna least, say. <laughs> the least necessary point zero you've ever brought us. And, and that, that is I'm a me low bar.
2: You guys, it's my signature move and I haven't done it in a while. And I needed to bring it back. And this is not part of the movie. So it had to be zero and not one. Oh
1: Hashtag God. Fifi Fearson.
2: Hashtag Fifi Fearson. Okay, so as Will has said, point zero is that Walter and Joanna have supposedly met. I love supposedly. I like the implication
0: that perhaps they have not, but we can't be sure. Well, they didn't show it happen.
2: They didn't show it to us. We're just led to believe it. So supposedly this is what happened. Anne had two children. And we also find out that Walter was as a lawyer and Joanna is a photographer. But not very successful.
0: No, but when they are talking about moving, one of the reasons they give is that in the suburbs there will be room for her to have a dark room.
2: Right. So should we go to point one then?
0: I suppose we should. I mean, we've been on point zero for so long, really digging into the meat of what was going on there. Are you sure we're done?
2: Well, um, we could do a full analysis of what we think happened in this supposed romance. How do you think they met?
0: Sure. So I think that she was at a, a gallery opening. She was there to see some new photography. And then when she came out, She bumped into this fella who was like wearing a snakeskin coat. And he had a big old cigar sticking out of his mouth. And the guy said, hey, little lady. And she said, oh, hi there. And he said, you want to come to this bar? And she said, nope. And so then instead, she walked down the other corner. And at the other corner, there was a nice balding lawyer who said, hi, I want to go on a date. (laughs) And they went on a date. And that's how they met.
2: And how long did they date before getting married? Seven weeks. Seven weeks, and how long were they married before the first child was born?
1: Seven weeks, twelve years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and what's the age difference between the two kids? Four. And when did they get a dog?
1: Nineteen seventy-two. Those okay, kids are. There we go. Like the same age, two years <laughs> yeah, apart. Max. Yeah, they
2: really. Look but young.
1: part of that might also be the exact same haircut that they have, so I can't tell oh, them. I could apart. not tell them apart. <laughs> No. Well, you, you, you've also got to keep in mind it is the
0: 70s. Everyone's smoking. <laughs> Even the children. <laughs> they got to learn. They got to learn at home where it's safe than going out behind the school. <laughs>
2: okay. All right. Well, Will, are you ready to move on from point zero?
0: I don't know. I feel like we, we've found a lot here. It's fruitful ground.
2: Okay. We'll go to point one. Which I've named plotting. I can't figure out this bird. It's like maids have been declared illegal, and the housewife with the neatest place gets Robert Redford for Christmas.
0: And believe me, if that's the prize, I'd enter. But nobody will tell what the contest rules are. Cheers. Cheers. Not to mention that creepy men's association. Yours, too? Every night.
2: <laughs> Dave wouldn't miss. What do you think they do up there? Watch dirty movies and reminisce about the good old days. What good old days? Like those good old days when Playboy used the airbrush. And this is when essentially they move to Stepford and begin a new life, which involves Walter joining the men's association. And at this point, we learn that Walter's already, he made all of these plans before even presenting them to Joanna. So he suggests, let's move. And then she finds out, oh, he's already been looking into it. He says, let's look at houses. And she finds out he's already like put a down payment on one. He says, I want to join the men's association. She finds out he's already pretty much joined.
0: Right, and what's particularly notable is like he begins that conversation about the men's association like, I don't know about it. He's asking her what she thinks about it because it's men only. And it gets to what we were talking about, about how this movie engages with like women trying to claim their place in this period. Because clearly, Walter always goes through the motions of including her in decisions, but she's not actually included.
2: Right, it's usually decisions he's already made.
1: He is a very interesting character because he is definitely someone who, before moving to Stepford, thought he was hip with the women's lib. He thinks he's a good person. Definitely thinks he's a good person. I don't even know if he realizes that he's doing this to Joanna. I think he genuinely thinks he's consulting her, but not listening at all to what she actually says.
0: I think that's definitely true. I'm, like, struck by... It's not that first night, but it's one of his first nights coming back from the Men's Association meeting, and he doesn't come up to bed or something, and she finds him sitting in a chair with a drink. And what he says, just, like, is, you know I love you, right? And it's clearly that's the night that he was told, like, we replace our wives with robots, and it's great, and he's been thinking it over. But at some point, and I'd love to know exactly when, like, he decides to go for it.
2: Well, and that's... I So in the... The remake, I couldn't tell if Walter knew what he was doing when they moved. And I don't think he did in this one.
0: In this one, he definitely did not. In 2004, I would believe that he did. Right. That movie's just such a mess. It ends with the man saving the day by button mashing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. He didn't even know what he was doing.
1: I love that you get so few details in this movie about the actual process. Mm -hmm. About Walter... You get so little of his perspective. But also, like, they don't say the word robot in this movie. No.
0: Again, we keep comparing it to the 2004 one, and I'm sorry, Mark, but, like, the 04 one ends with the longest villain monologue by Glenn Close, who is revealed (laughs) as the mastermind behind it. And I'm just like, the later your explanatory monologue is, and the longer it is, the more your movie didn't work. And this movie doesn't really bother to explain anything, because it has a lot of faith in its audience to understand what's going on. They mention that he worked at Disneyland, and that they never bring up robots again, because the audience will get it. She stabs Bobby, and there's no blood, and they never have a whole conversation about what that means.
1: Yeah, they never lay it out explicitly at all, which I love.
0: And in part, it makes sense, because, like, it's so ridiculous to imagine. Like, it's hard to imagine Joanna saying those words, because they sound absurd. And the whole movie is her, to a certain extent, questioning is what she's thinking reasonable or not. And effectively being gaslit into getting murdered and
1: re- replaced with a robot. I just love that the villain of this movie is an Imagineer that uses his Hall of Presidents skills for evil.
2: <laughs> I'm going to think twice before going on those animatronic rides again.
0: I mean, especially the new ones. They're so cool. Yeah. Yeah. One of those Rise of the Resistance robots is going to stab you.
2: <laughs> but yeah, so basically Walter kind of finds out what the deal is. And you, we notice that some of the women in the town really don't do anything other than iron and housework and things like that. And this they're also... TV and,
0: ladies. They talk about cleaning supplies like they're in a commercial.
1: Easy on spray starch. It must save me half an hour a day at least. You'll never run short of time again. I guarantee it. I've just been tempted so many times to try easy
2: <laughs> I'm not trying to be a leader or anything, but we're not supposed to delve quite so specifically into housework. easy Own's really that good, is it? Is it that
1: good? Well, if time is your enemy, make friends with easy Own, That's all I can tell you.
2: Yes, they do. And then at the same time, you know, like, Walter's changing some as well, and he starts to drink a little bit more. He's drunk at home a lot more and then this is when he starts inviting the guys over to the house
0: oh my gosh such a good scene
2: they have the one the a couple times where they're there and the first one they all come over they're just chatting about their fundraiser they're gonna do and one of the guys spends the entire time sketching joanna and the the craziest part to me was the fact that he was fully open about it he showed her the sketches he gave them to her at the end I like, love that as a power
0: move. It's yeah. yeah. so upsetting that she like then hangs it in her room.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is. It helps. He is clearly a famous artist. And I will say if a famous artist were to do that, I would be into it. But if it was some random guy. But I mean, when she says hang it, I'm going to get it insured. I was clearly <laughs> like, okay, so this guy is well known. But I think that makes it even creepier. Absolutely. But then, like, in that scene, there's the moment where she goes upstairs
0: to check on the kids, and the room goes silent, and Walter gets up to check out the art. Like, by that point, he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where Fiona maybe like, if I had not known the secret of Stepford, that would be even more tantalizing. But I still found it kind of cool to see how this movie built the mystery of it so much more effectively.
1: It's amazing how quickly Walter buys in. Yep, a bad Bad dude.
2: Immediate, basically. And I, I have something to say about that later, too. But another thing he does is she takes the dog out for a walk and he invites all the guys over to come inspect the bedroom inch by inch. And then they also they send one of the guys over to talk about this pretend hobby of his where he asks Joanna to record her voice saying like every word in the dictionary.
0: Yeah, well, look, sometimes uh, when you're on work study at Princeton, you need to record every word of the dictionary so that later on people can use it to give orders and prank you at work.
1: You made the joke, not me. (laughs) I thought I wrote it down while I was watching.
2: I saw a post on Nextdoor where this girl was going to be interviewed by a guy to babysit his daughter. And then he sent her a message and was like, Oh, by the way, I'm also a podiatry student. And. I need to practice massages of feet. Nope. And that's what this reminded me of. Like, oh yeah, I need to record your voice to kill you.
0: No dude on the internet who asks about feet is being honest about (laughs) why.
2: No. So kind of like the last thing about this point is that Joanna has noticed these changes in Walter and she points out the fact that like these guys he's hanging out with are people he would have hated in the city. And he's like, you're wrong. No, no, I wouldn't have.
0: They're great. It's just really striking to me how this movie is just beat for beat better than the 2004 one. I can't <laughs> stop going back to it. Because, like, Mark, there's this scene at the party where the one robot starts malfunctioning and just keeps walking around being like, I have to get the recipe for this one. And, like, Great the malfunction team. is just that, like, she's stuck on one thought and can't move past it. Mm-hmm. In the 2004 one, <laughs> they're at a town square dance, and one of the robots starts square dancing in like hyperspeed and just like faster and faster and faster. It's a whirling dervish through a square dance before it like falls over and starts like jerking like a malfunctioning robot, which is even weirder when the movie decides at the end they're not robots. Right. Yeah. This one was so much better.
1: That's (laughs) just be The more effective execution. Does this bring us us to to point point two, two, Fiona?
2: It does, Mark. So this one I call kind of like Joanna's fighting back. I think there are times when Walter cares more about the law than he does about me, and that can hurt.
1: I don't think that, uh, I don't think that uh, Ed ever loved me. I mean, uh, he married me because I looked right. It made a big impression on the other TV executives for his wife to look like I look.
2: So she notices that the women here are kind of weird. They don't really do anything for themselves. And she, as we said before, has dabbled in women's lib. And so she's going to try to start a women's group because they don't get together. The men have this huge building where they get together and they spend every night there. And the women need something for themselves.
0: The most fascinating thing they discover in this period is that there had been a women's organization in town in the past. And it's not like the long past. A lot of women currently in the town had once been members. Right, and I
2: think their neighbor across the street had been the leader, but they all just decided they were too busy with their housework.
1: Yeah, Yeah. they were all too busy. They grew out of that phase.
2: Yeah, so women kind of agree to join. She Actually, she kind of blackmails the man who needs her voice recording. She says, this is a lot of work, but I'll do it if you get your wife to come to my women's group. So I think that probably... I'm sure he did not like her manipulating him that way. And that could have been a trigger. But then these women who join the group then stop coming and you see them change. And there's the one woman who used to have a tennis court and Joanna. Charmaine.
1: What an icon. Yeah. I love Charmaine.
2: Joanna and Bobby are driving by later and the tennis court is getting raised over to become a swimming pool for Charmaine's husband because that's what he would rather have. And he doesn't want her spending time with other women playing tennis.
0: Well, that's also, we know that that's when Charmaine gets replaced with the robot because yep. when she is like going to the therapist and stuff like that, she talks about how Charmaine changed four months after she arrived and Bobby changed four months after she arrived. And mm-hmm. Joanna's worried because she's coming up on four months.
2: Yeah. And even as she, so she's starting this group and that, seems to cause more tension with Walter, too. And I, I believe this is when he mentions that, you know, it wouldn't kill me to have a wife who cleans the house.
0: Yeah,
1: he's a bad dude. He Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the old woman that runs the local newspaper <laughs> has any <laughs> idea I what's going her. on? <laughs> no,
2: I don't think she does.
1: She is such a fascinating character because she shows up to interview Joanna then she shows up for a nu- one other scene where she says, a black family is moving to Stepford. <laughs> Brilliantly introduced. I love that moment. Yes. Great mm-hmm. moment. And then she's like, I think it's good. We are the most liberal town in the area, after all. <laughs>
0: all right. She's the one who brings up the women's group. She's like, we yeah. were the first town in the area with a women's
1: organization. And Joanna's like, what happened to that? Yeah. That woman just is so. Cl- I just love. She's so great. She's so clueless and is also a journalist. (laughs) Which is perfect for
0: Stepford because she is going to be churning out puff pieces and not noticing the major stuff going on in town.
2: Yeah, like, because they show the whole... There's a whole car accident with Claire.
0: At the grocery store.
2: And that's right... That's when she gets killed, basically, after that. Because Joanna and Walter are there in the parking lot and they take her in the ambulance and Joanna goes... They drove in the opposite direction from the hospital.
1: I think she was already a robot because they drove her to get Imagineered. Yeah, they took her for repairs. They, like, took her to the to the genius bar. Oh, you think she was a
2: robot and they yeah. took her to repair her. Okay. Oh, because you know what? You're right. When she walked over and brought, like, the soup or stew or whatever yeah. it was when they moved in, she was already weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now to point three, which I've called gaslighting.
1: So why are you wearing all that makeup? I mean, you never even used to clean your kitchen, much less wear
2: makeup. Admit it, Joanna. I was a joke. He works hard all day long. And what does he come home to?
1: A slob. Bobby, it's gotten to you now.
2: Nothing's gotten me. I just want to look like a woman and keep my house looking decent too. And this is the point now where Bobby has been killed and turned into a robot. She and Joanna had been planning to Leave Stepford.
1: Bobby, who again is just the coolest. Absolutely one of the coolest characters in movies. Ever. Yeah. Uh, She's Joanna's gal pal. Bobby Markowitz. But what does she say about Marco? That it's upward mobility for Markowitz or something like that. Right. (laughs) It's awesome. She's great. So they go they they go
2: looking at houses in other towns that Bobby might move into. But upcoming is a weekend where she and her husband were going to go on their annual trip to the plaza. And she's so excited and he always spends a lot of money on her and they get back from the weekend and Bobby has been changed. I also liked how you could tell that they had changed not only from how they act, but they also were suddenly wearing like pioneer women clothing.
0: Oh my gosh. So the outfits were a big part of why William Goldman got mad and quit the production.
2: Are you serious? Because they weren't
0: sexy enough. Yes, they weren't sexy enough.
2: They were very proper.
0: So in his mind, he was imagining like all these men having their ideal women built. And it's like, you know, the early 70s. His whole pitch was that they are like, look and are dressed like Playboy bunnies. And maybe not literally in the bunny suit, but like, dressed provocatively enough that it's like a little jarring to see them walk like probably not in a bunny suit, but like just like a little too sexual for going around daily life. And he blamed the shift from what he wrote to what we got in the movie with like the pioneer outfits that the director Brian Forbes cast his own wife as Carol Van Sant and (laughs) basically William Goldman was like, yeah, she wasn't hot enough for what I wrote, so they had to change it. And that was stupid.
1: Oh my gosh. See, I think that it works better with them As, like, lady in the street and freak in the sheets. Because, like, if they didn't have the scene where they, like, overheard the sex and they openly talk about the sex part, then it works that they're also prim and proper outside in their pioneer clothes.
2: And that, actually, I should have mentioned that back... In an earlier point, but that was kind of one of the things that tipped Joanna off to the fact that something was weird in town because they heard the sounds coming from the bedroom and then they saw the man and his wife working at the pharmacy and she was like, that pharmacist is nothing. Like, what is going on here?
0: How does that boring dude have that hot life? Yeah. I mean I think the sounds are the explanation. Like he's got you know, I, appar- he's the king. <laughs> yeah, he's he's <laughs> got a dong like Sebastian and she's the man.
1: <laughs> I will say my reaction to that would be, wow, he must be great in bed rather than there's something fishy going on. <laughs> oh. Apparently she's the man comes out next week. <laughs> Oop <laughs> I'm totally turned around.
2: Oh my gosh. I've completely forgot another scene in their fighting back, too.
0: Well, good thing we already did point zero.
2: And point two. No, no, no. Bobby is convinced there's something in the water. And so mm, yes, Bobby and Joanna go to meet this chemist that Joanna had like dated in college. And he's like, no, there's nothing in the water, but Joanna, are you happy? And she's like, yeah. And Bobby kind of gives her a weird look. And then the guy writes a note that says, I'm not happy either on the on the like results of the water and shows it on the clipboard to Joanna. And then he never
0: comes back. Which was weird. I know. I love it. I love that it's like this moment where the movie could veer off and turn into an entirely different movie. Mm-hmm. But instead, like, Joanna can't bring herself to turn away from what she thinks she ought to be doing.
2: That is true.
1: She's on the road to Stepfordization, and she misses the exit multiple times. She
2: she goes right past it. So yeah, so back to point three. So we're, we're now in the gaslighting phase. So Bobby has changed- and Joe, this is really upsetting to Joanna. She shows up, and Bobby's normally extremely messy house is fully clean. Bobby's cooking; she's making coffee, and Joanna's very upset. She goes home. She's telling Walter about this, and he basically says she's crazy.
0: Okay, but also in this period, I think a key to it too, and a key to the gaslighting, is that Walter starts agreeing with some of what she wants. She's like, "We must move. We must get out of this town." And Walter's like, "Okay, we can move, um, but I want to give it like two months." To, like, really, like, find a place and and I want you to see a therapist just because, like, I want to make sure that, like, it it is, like, just something weird with Stepford and it's not something with you where we're going to keep moving all the time. Like, he is feigning, frankly, being more understanding than he has been at any point previously
1: in the movie. Right. Right. But this is also where he, isn't it after Bobby, where he, like, yells at her and is like, well, you know, now Bobby is you know a good woman because look at our house it's so disgusting and our kids look like they're (laughs) on welfare and all this terrible stuff
2: and he says he's like how do i know that like we're not gonna move and you're gonna want to move again two months after that
1: the comparison of freshly perked coffee and the instant coffee is also such 70s nonsense i love it yes like one of the signs that bobby has changed is that she doesn't have instant coffee anymore
2: oh yeah But another thing that like kind of it kind of goes pretty quickly. But when he says, oh, yeah, I need you should see a therapist. I'll get there are plenty of great guys in this town. So like he wants her to go meet with one of his pals from the men's association. And Mm -hmm. like, luckily for her, except that it doesn't pan out. She's like, nope, I'll get my own. And she finds a woman from another town.
0: The therapy scene to me is like when the whole movie just gets distilled into one sentence. When she's explaining what she's upset about and to this therapist, and she's explaining her fears, and the therapist is great. She's very understanding. She's very much like, "You need to do what you need to do," including she says like, "All right, like I'm gonna be out of town for the next couple days, but like you clearly can't be home. Like get your kids and go somewhere else." But it's this moment where Joanna is finally forced to say, like, what she's afraid of. And she says, there will be someone with my name, and she'll cook, and she'll clean, but she won't take pictures, and she won't be me. And to me, like, that's the whole movie. Like, that line is what this whole movie is
1: about. Mm -hmm.
2: But this is where seeing the remake first was bad, because I was like, oh, right, because, like, yeah, it's her, but her brain's not really herself, because she'll have a microchip in her. Because, like... It was not clear to me at this point that they were real robots.
0: Oh, once they said he worked at Disney, I was like, robots. But I love that because that, I mean, that's the whole thing. That's the, like, the fear that, like, you don't have to have robots there. Like, it can just be the fear of, like, what if I'm just taking care of this house? What if I'm just taking care of this kid? What if who I think of myself as no longer exists? Then what's left?
2: And then she also makes the comment that where she's like, if I'm right, this is very bad. But if I'm wrong, it's also bad because I might be going crazy. So yeah, so the therapist tells her to go get a prescription, get the kids, and leave. Which takes us to point four. What does archaic mean? Archaic? Yes. I don't know. Think! You used to know when we went to Marie Axham's and she was ironing. She didn't know, but you did. Did I? Well, I forgot. How do you want it? It wasn't on the word list, was it? This is a new blend and very mild. Do you take cream? Look, I bleed. Oh, that's right. You take it black. Well, I cut myself. I bleed. Do you bleed? Which is like the final betrayal, basically, where Walter... So Okay, so Joanna gets home. She's looking for the kids. The house is dark. The kids are not there. Walter comes out and he's like... Oh, no, they're they're gone. They're not here. You should go upstairs and lie down. You're clearly upset. So she does go upstairs and he goes down and you see the light on the phone light up. So she knows he's making calls, which we find out are to the men's association. Mm -hmm. So she sneaks out of the house and she first she runs over to Bobby's house because she assumes, you know, when they went away and she was killed, the kids were here. So our kids are probably at Bobby's house now. She goes over there. Bobby's trying to make her coffee. She's being very weird. The kids are not at Bobby's house. And Joanna stabs Bobby. And this is when Bobby kind of malfunctions. And she's like, I was just trying to be a good friend. I was just going to make you coffee. And she kind of just like bounces around the kitchen repeating that. So then she runs back home because now she doesn't know where her kids are. And Walter is at the house. He's meeting with the police. He's trying to find Joanna And he hears a noise and Joanna sneaks into the room and surprises him and hits him in the head with a fire poker. And this is where, again, after having seen the remake, I was like, oh, maybe he'll be like, I'm bleeding. I'm so sorry. Let's put a stop to this because I thought maybe it would have a good ending. But he doesn't. Uh, It has a great ending. It does, but not not victorious. So he now has a gash in his head and he's still like, yep, I'm going through with this. The kids are at the men's association. Go get them. That's point four.
1: Yeah. And then she goes to find them. (laughs) And and that's point five. Hello, Bobby. Hello, Joanna. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? They're fine. And yours?
2: Fine.
1: Fine.
2: So she gets to the men's association. She can hear recordings of her children and she follows the sound she goes in and diz is there and she kind of realizes what's going on so she runs out of the room honestly she still had the fire poker she should have just hit him with it
1: yeah Diz gives one of the shortest like villain monologues mark i cannot overstate how long the glen close one is
2: (laughs) (laughs) so then she's running through the building and she opens a door and it is an exact replica of her bedroom And I'm not really sure why they needed to do that. Like, I think they they just want the robot, and I guess that yeah, I
0: think they want to acclimate the robot to like walking around in her space Mm -hmm.
2: because the room is the only space she needs to train for.
1: And also because it's creepy when she opens the door.
2: Yeah, and you see the robot of Joanna slowly turn with her creepy eyes, and then she stands up,
1: fully black eyes.
2: Yeah, they're empty.
1: I think in the book. They lay out more clearly that like the eyes are the thing that they can't figure out, and so they have to Ugh. steal the real eyes Ugh. Yuck, yuck, of yuck, the yuck, woman. Yuck. Awesome.
2: awesome! If they had showed that, I would not have been okay. Oh my god! I've that's already so good. seen a movie this year with people getting body parts removed, and that was too much.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot
2: about that. Horrifying. Anyways, the robot stands up, and she's twisting pantyhose around in her hands. And it cuts. And again, this is when I thought the next scene was going to be Joanna having beat the robot. But she didn't. <laughs> you still you... thought she was going to win at that point? Yes! And then we see the robot Joanna in the grocery store. And real Joanna is dead.
0: And the black family's in the grocery store.
2: Yes, I did notice that.
1: I don't see good things in their future.
2: Oh, yeah, no. absolutely not. <laughs> so that's the end of their relationship.
0: Uh, by the way, there have been three TV sequels in the 1980s to The Stepford Lives. Only one of them is about robots.
2: <laughs> what are they about?
0: So the middle one, the Stepford children, is a robot one where also the children are being replaced with robots. Well,
2: okay. Mm. You know what I don't understand is why why did the dog get stolen? Was that also to get the robot acclimated to the dog? Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. And to I would get the assume dog so. acclimated
0: to the robot. Um the other two, revenge of the Stepford Wives and the Stepford husbands, are like they're being controlled through pills.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Which is less
1: interesting, I would say.
2: The progression towards the microchip in the brain.
0: But it goes pills, robot pills. They alternate.
1: That's so weird. Uh, All right, Fiona. Do you find the romance of this movie believable?
2: I, I think it's believable that they would have been together. I think it's believable that there is a relationship where the man just wants a submissive wife. And would try to gaslight her into thinking she's not and that she's being respected.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the murder is when I think it is less common and less believable, but it probably has happened.
1: I don't think that a robot has murdered a person and stolen their eyes.
2: Not a but robot. But that's not the But romance. I think the relationship between Walter and Joanna is well, yeah, realistic.
0: I agree with you. I think...
1: I... Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the kind of thing where, like, when it goes to that extra thing, which is, and that extra thing is what makes it a movie, right? That's when it goes beyond. But for the most part, it is very believable as the kind of insidious romance,
1: and it's, that you that's see what makes in the it so world. much worse.
0: Right? It's the presentation of a marriage of equals that actually isn't, which one last time, is a thing that makes it better than 2004. Because in 2004, there's no presentation of the idea that it's a marriage of equals. It's Nicole Kidman is the powerhouse on top, and Matthew Broderick resents her and wants to drag her down past him, which is a much less compelling narrative.
1: Fiona, every week we rate the believability on a scale of 1 to 10. So taking all this into consideration, where would you rate the Stepford Wives? 1975, not 2004.
2: I, I'm leaning towards a 7 or an 8.
0: I was going to go 8.
1: Yeah, I yeah. was also thinking an 8. I think one thing, one thing that really sold me is when she was talking to Walter and Walter was ignoring her, like reading or something. Oh, yeah. And she just like sighs and goes like, you just keep doing whatever it is you're doing. I'm very fond <laughs> of you. And that, like, the little reminder saying it to them as well as to yourself, like, ugh, I know I am angry at you, but I do still love you. I thought that was a really nice touch of how relationships can be. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a great. There are a lot of little good
0: moments in this. Mm-hmm. Fiona, where would you rate Stepford Wives 04?
2: Uh, much lower. Yeah. Maybe like a four.
0: I was also going to say four.
2: Oh my wow. gosh. You know what, Will? entanglement
0: we are not entangled and we <laughs> don't have time to get into this
1: <laughs> do you think joanna or walter is dateable
0: joanna yes robert no joanna yeah yes. agreed joanna rocks
1: if you did have to pick one person in this movie to date though who would it be on account of There's three a right one, at the same, two, time? Three, same time bobby bobby She's She. The her outfits are so good Oh, I know. I've been so good about singing on this episode. Both Bobby and Joanna
0: have iconic Sondheim numbers. You're right.
1: In the same musical even.
0: That's Joanne in Company. Oh, that's Joanna Joanne. Is Sweeney. It's Sweeney yes. Todd, yeah.
1: They both wear some pretty sexy outfits. Bobby and Joanna. So, yeah.
2: they felt young very modern.
1: I mean, part Which of that is, is also that just the like the contrast th- with yeah, jeopardized.
2: That's true. When they go to the pioneer outfits. Also
1: like the that pioneer 70s pioneer woman in Candy yeah. Cane Christmas. Oh my Gosh. god! <laughs> I feel like that style of seventies also is kind of coming back/slash has come back. It is going away again. That you know, the handkerchief-looking jean shirt very much had a moment <laughs> again.
0: Yeah, I think it's already passed.
1: Um. Well, I guess we can't really. They're not going to stay together, or I guess he will nope. stay together with Robot Joanna. Yeah.
0: But Joanna is, is dead. There's no way where living Joanna stays with Walter. Yes. No. Now, Fiona, should the Stepford Wives, 1975, be adapted into a stage musical?
1: I would see it. Mark? I'm torn because I do think that the like quietness of it is very effecti- like, effective.
0: Yeah, I agree. I- I'm kind of astonished that it hasn't been.
1: Me too, honestly.
0: Weirdly, I will say, I do think 2004 is the one that feels more like a musical because it's so chaotic yeah, and, like, brightly Mm -hmm. colored. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, this movie is very bright in the sense of, like, it pretty much all happens in daylight, but that movie is, like, candy-colored. And you've got Roger Bart there, who is a Broadway legend. Like, if they had burst out into song in that one, I would not have been surprised.
1: Mm -hmm. So that leads me to believe that it might not work because... That movie was such a failure. That's a good point. You might be right there. All right. I think that's it for the Stepford Wives. Yeah. Thank
0: you again to our listener on Twitter for requesting it. Uh, I'm thank really you. glad to have seen it. This movie rules.
2: Yeah, me too. Same. And
1: thank you, Fiona, for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Always good to have a wife.
2: <laughs> Just not Stepford.
1: Next week, we'll be talking about the
0: 2006 soccer movie slash Shakespeare adaptation, She's the Man. Starring the great Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum.
1: Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at Love the at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. All right. Last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice <laughs> we got from the Stepford Wives?
2: Um, Early on in your relationship, you should establish expectations and you should let it be known that. You're not interested in being the wife who just stays home and cooks and cleans.
0: Mine is taken from our environmental scientist. If you're having a hard time asking somebody out, just write them a little note.
1: (laughs) My advice is even if you think you're listening, your partner has to be heard for things to work out. Mm. Wow, that's some wisdom. Deep. So deep, so deep. (laughs)
0: Well, until next time, I'm a ginger.
1: And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Bye.